Hello and welcome to Mavs Daily presented by the Dallas Morning News, where every day of the week we're breaking down a question, event, news, or trend. Joining me today to discuss the biggest game in at least the last five years is Eddie Sethko. What's up, Eddie? How you doing, my man? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, d- I'm looking forward to tonight, and I know that you are too. It's uh, it, We got a big one on our hands, man. Well, I mean, uh, uh, this team, let, hey, let's start with the obvious. The Mavericks have overachieved this, this season. They are far uh, further along than just about anybody thought they were going to be. Most people didn't even have them making the playoffs. Now they're in a situation where uh, they're tied with the Clippers after four games. Uh, the Clippers are a beast. Uh, they are an absolute, uh, you know, at least uh, one of the favorites to win the whole thing. And the Mavericks are right there blow for blow with them right now. So, uh, and, you know, game five, you cannot overstate it. It's, it's just uh, uh, you, you, nobody wants to go down 3-2. It doesn't mean you're dead. It doesn't mean you're, 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 you've lost the series, but it does uh, obviously put the, the onus on you, especially in a series where nobody's won twice in a row yet. Yeah. And that's kind of the, the biggest sort of like emotional and mental thing that I feel like a lot of people are probably going through right now is in the playoffs. They always say like, if you lose, you feel like you're never going to win again. And if you win, you feel like you're never going to lose again, but they've just traded W's for the last four games. And so like, no one can really kind of get a hold on this series, but tonight sort of represents the first opportunity for either team to do that because you know, there's no home court advantage or anything, but historically speaking, if you go up 3-2, I mean, you're winning 80% of the time at least. It's got to be something like that. So it is really, really important. But if you're the Mavs, so you, I mean, you've covered a lot of playoff teams, including the team around here uh, nine years ago that went on that magical playoff run. Whenever you have this type of momentum going, uh, even if you're a team that's going up against a better opponent, say like the two-time defending champs in L.A. or – uh, you know, LeBron and the Heat and all these other juggernauts that Dallas has faced over the years, including the Spurs many times. Um, when does, like, the exciting, oh, this is a more competitive series than we thought, mindset shift to this could actually maybe possibly happen? Well, that's one of those, for lack of a better word, that's one of those esoteric things. That's a big word for a sport writer. Uh <laughs> You know, that, that's one of those things you just you, you don't know until it happens. Um, I can remember back, go back to as far as 2006, when uh, the Mavericks were a, a, a good team. Uh, nobody gave them a, a, a big shot at winning the, the whole thing. And eventually they didn't. But they did make the NBA finals. I can remember after like game uh, two or three in the in the first round series. Uh, and, and with a couple of com- cohorts at a uh, at a night spot after uh, after the game when we were winding down, and they were all saying, "Well, this is fun. This will be good for another you know week or two. And, and I said, "Listen, six weeks from now, we could sit, be still be sitting here at the same table after the <laughs> same sort of game." And sure enough, we were. So uh, you you just have to kind of uh, enjoy these things as they go. First of all. And then, you, you know, you'll know if, if things start to, to turn around and, and, and become more than just a novelty, uh, and not that they're a novelty, but more than just a, uh, you know, thinking that, hey, that they have a chance. They have a, uh, this, this, this puncher's chance or whatever, too. You'll know, hey, 
they're going to take this thing by the throat and run with it. From local high schools to the pros, the Dallas Morning News has got North Texas sports covered. And it's more than just the scores. From all the off-season moves to in-season adjustments and maybe even postseason glory, we certainly hope so around here, the DMN has got the inside scoop on your favorite teams, players, and coaches. We follow every goal, save, bucket, and touchdown as the Dallas Morning News delivers real local sports journalism from the press box and locker room straight to your inbox. Head to dallasnews.com slash sports now or preferably after the podcast, but either way, definitely check out what uh, Brad Townsend, Callie Kaplan, and the rest of the Demon gang has for you there. So in a little bit, I want to talk about Luca, of course, and then also we got to talk about game five and maybe the the guy that the Clippers are going to try and get going here a little bit. But uh, first, I, I want to ask you this. So the other day I talked to Skin on numbers on the boards and he he used the word proud to describe how he feels about this team. And he, and he even said, like, it, it sounds like I'm a dad saying that, but the reason I felt like that was a, a pretty good description for for how he's feeling about these guys is this is a young team many of these guys it's their first playoff experience for almost all of them it's their first meaningful experience as like a key you know starting caliber player um and and more importantly than the results simply just being tied 2-2 against such a good team it's like every single game they've had a chance to to kind of like fold or crumble or collapse um, you know, the Clippers have have hit them with some haymakers in game one. You got the ejection game two. Um, uh, you know, the, the Mavs were Mavs were really killing them. That game was kind of decided. But games three and game four, uh, the Clippers were either getting off to huge starts, getting out to big leads. You're missing KP. You're missing Luka. And it feels like every time it gets to kind of like a turning point in a game um, where it can go one way or the other, it's gone the Mavs' way. You know, they haven't backed down, and they've shown a little bit of fight and resilience, and and that's always something that I feel like kind of, like, comes with time. You know, it took the 2011 Mavs years of failure to sort of develop that steely uh, kind of resolve. You know, maybe sometimes it's just as a simple matter of luck, like, well, yeah, you just make a couple shots, and all of a sudden you can quell a run or something, but this team is showing a whole lot more fight than I expected like a first year team to do. Are you surprised or is that just sometimes you don't really know until you know about, about a team sort of metal? Well, I think what you're trying to explain or, or, what, or what, if I'm understanding you right, the word you're looking for is culture. And, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Rick Carlisle has done a fabulous job. I mean, this doesn't happen in a in a season or two or three. This started way back in the, uh, you know, you know, two or three, four years before the the uh, first championship or the only championship in 2011. He started to build this this uh, culture of complete perseverance, never admitting that you're out of something. Always thinking. All right, how are we going to fix this? Well, yeah, we've dug ourselves a 21-point hole. Settle down. What do we do? You're, you're, there's no 21-point plays, but how did we chip away at this thing and give, it, give ourselves a chance? He has been a master at, at building that sort of mentality in, in, uh, in the organization. And uh, it's not just in the, in the players. I think you know, his assistant coaches and the staff and, and uh, you know, heck, even maybe you and me, we think that way now. Uh, well, maybe not you and me, but most people. So, I, I, you know, I just really like the way that this team does not sit there and say, well, it's, it's not our night on this night. Let's pack this one in. We'll fight another day. 
I I have not seen that out of this team. I don't think at all this season. Yeah, and it's been really impressive because I mean, look, it's one thing to come back from down twenty one against like a, a lottery team on a Wednesday night in January. It's a whole nother deal to do it in the playoffs against the guys that I feel like kind of everyone expects to be hoisting the Larry O here in a couple months. And so it's been really, really impressive. But, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, you wouldn't want them to be able to do that on a Tuesday night in August. When we, when yeah, we yeah. I, mean, I don't think anybody <laughs> could have expected that. <laughs> uh, okay, let's talk about the guy who is – he's not doing it alone by any means, but – He's definitely uh, he's at this at the steering wheel of this whole thing. Luca, the guy is unbelievable. 43, 17, and 13. The only player ever to do that in the playoffs. The only other guy that ever did it in a regular season game is Wilt, who's like whose numbers are uh, are are the epitome of video game numbers. Uh, what Luca did in game four was pretty special. And 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 in your opinion, I mean. I'm not asking you to stack him up against Dirk or anything like that, but that's got to be one of the most iconic performances that we, that Mavs fans have ever seen. Well, you know, you, you, to me, the NBA comes down to moments uh, and and the the things you remember. I mean, I'll never forget Hakeem Olajuwon uh, sitting, I was sitting there not 20 to 30 feet away from him. And he goes into his spin cycle, and, and David Robinson's still looking for him 20 years later. You know, he couldn't find him. And, uh, 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 you know, that kind of moment, Michael Jordan switching hands in midair and, 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 and making that bucket, and then, you know, the palms go up, and he's just kind of saying, oh, hey, what can I say? Those moments just go on, uh, and, and this was one of them. Uh, now, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that Lucas, uh, as I wrote on Mavs.com, uh, uh, yesterday or the day before, well, after the game, that, uh, you know, it may be too early to go from Luka Magic to Luka Legend, but when he gets there someday, we'll know where the seed was planted, and that was mm-hmm. it, because he really uh, took that moment. He didn't panic. He didn't rush. He, he took his three or four dribbles, spotted up, got the guy, and, and admittedly not the greatest defender in the world, but still uh, got him kind of on his heels, then took the step back, calmly let the shot fly. Long way away, 27 feet. Oh, you only needed a two-pointer, but you know what? That's the shot he took. That's the shot he made. Bam. Uh, it, it was just a, a thing of a thing of beauty. Well, and you only needed a two, but, I mean, Eddie, a three-pointer is cooler. And and that's, <laughs> that's kind of Luca's whole thing. Like, why make the why make the boring play when I can do something cool instead, you know? And, and that's sort of like, that's kind of his identity. That's what sets him apart. And, and every, every superstar and Luca now is, he's a superstar. Every one of those guys has a unique sort of thing. And Luca's thing is just doing insane stuff all the time. And, and so it's perfectly fitting that, that his kind of like NBA arrival moment, like his his arrival into the Pantheon was on a ridiculous 28-foot step back whenever a simple layup would have sufficed. <laughs> well, and, uh, you know, it's interesting how far he's come in such a short amount of time. We, we tend to forget he's only 21 years old. Uh, you know, that's kind of like 
you know, we didn't realize what LeBron was going to be when LeBron was 21 years old and, and was doing amazing things. I mean, he had a terrific start to his career. Michael, same way. Uh, but I saw an interesting uh, poll, I guess it was on ESPN or somewhere, about who would you rather have uh, to start your franchise around right now? And it was Giannis or Luca. You know, and these are two European one-name wonders now. They are. You don't have to. You don't have to say another word. You just say Freak or Giannis and, and Luca. That's who they are. But the interesting thing was, I think about seventy-seven percent of the people said, "Give me Luca now, uh, no matter what." And um, some of that may have to do with age because he's quite a bit younger than the than the Greek Freak. But but man, uh, I, I think people now, if if anybody was not aware or certain or believing of what Luca is capable of, they are now. And that includes every single player in the NBA, because all of these guys are on Twitter all day, just like us. <clears throat> and every single one of those guys saw that buzzer beater and that performance. And, and I mean, it's, it's one thing, the thing about that shot, obviously it was incredible, but it came at the end of a game in which Luca was playing on one ankle. You're down 21 to the Clippers without your second best player. I mean, Trey Burke is in the starting lineup. A month ago, he was sitting on his couch like you and me. I mean, all of these factors are going against Dallas. And Luka didn't, again, he didn't win it by himself. The guy who was sitting on his couch, Trey Burke, had 25 points on 14 shots. Seth Curry shooting like 70% from the field in this series. But, I mean, Luka scored their last seven points. He hit two go-ahead shots inside the final 30 seconds, a, a third one to tie it with a minute left. He is just, he, he did the superstar thing. He took over the game and, and kind of willed his team to victory. He hit the big shots and, and that drew the attention of LeBron and Dame and like literally every, Kevin Love, every player in the NBA, Bradley Beal that's watching these games is tweeting about Luka. And, and it's, so it's not just fans who are crazy about him. It's superstars. I mean, he is, he is Paul George called him the future after game one. And that was before Luca even started winning. I mean, it's incredible <laughs> how he has—he has totally arrived, and and he—he's not just arrived. I mean, he's taken over the playoffs. Yeah, it, and it's interesting because he's not—he's uh, not like Dirk was when Dirk was twenty-one years old. Dirk was still shy and 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 really. Uh, uh, not uh, real comfortable in the limelight and, and did not want to be out there. Luca likes to be out there. He wants to be out and part of the, the NBA. He wants to be one of the franchise guys in his mind. It's LeBron and him. And, you know, maybe there, I'm forgetting a couple Giannis. And after that, it's, Hey, get out of the way. We're here where this is our league now. And uh, it, it's going to be fun to watch him continue to grow, but, uh, another thing I liked about game four, especially was, yes, he took over when he had to take over, but he also let his teammates be a big, uh, part of the narrative. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, Trey Burke, as you said, had a, had a terrific game, but, but Lucas was part of that. I mean, uh, how many teams substitute a, a six foot 175 pound guy, maybe, uh, for a 7'3", 245-pound guy in the starting lineup. I mean, Only Rick know, Carlisle. Only Rick Carlisle. Carlisle figures out a way to make that work. And sure enough, it did. And, and, and then Tim Hardaway, 
God bless him. He, uh, he's been one of those guys who has played for some, uh, how can we put this tactfully, crummy teams. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he's played, but he's been in the playoffs with Atlanta back in the day. So, uh, but he, he's had some, he's had a rough uh, uh, career in terms of not having a whole lot of team success. And I couldn't be happier for him because he's a, he's one of those guys who's a, who's a, a quiet, good guy that, that doesn't mind. Hey, he doesn't really care what you, you think of him, but he's, he's a, he's a guy who's, and he can play. He, when he showed up, really know what to expect, but he instantly became the Mavericks best shooter until Seth Curry came back. So uh, I, I'm happy for that. He had 21 points. And then, you know, the guys off the bench. I mean, you know, you, you get Curry coming out. And and, and J.J. Barea came out, and even though his plus minus was terrible. He had some moments where, hey, settle down. You know, this is a long game. Uh, it's like Rick Carl, Carlisle's extension on the court. So uh, Luca is at the center of all that. He has to let all those things happen uh, in the in the flow of the game. And then know when to pick his spots and, and take over. And it took Dirk a long time to learn that, by the way. Uh, Luke is a little bit, or maybe a lot ahead of the curve on that one. If you watch the bench during game four, the only guy who was standing up as, as much as Rick Carlisle was J.J. Even when he wasn't in the game, J.J. has gone full coach mode, man. There's just, there's, there's so much just buy-in on this, on this team. Every single player is just totally cool with what is happening, with their role, with their stats, whatever. Like, everybody is all in on this, and it's just uh, it's a very wholesome thing to witness. But also, I mean, that goes back to the culture thing. Like, this is a team that likes playing together. And, you know, I'm not trying to project too much on the Clippers, but, you know, the Mavs have done a better job of circling the wagons so far. And now the Clippers do have a chance to do the same thing tonight, and that kind of leads to – leads to, to the game five portion of this thing is, you know, through four games, I think if, if you did a straw poll, I mean, everybody would kind of say, yeah, I mean, the Mavs have been the better team, probably. Now the Clippers, the last two games have flexed their muscles a little bit and they won one game pretty convincingly. And then in game four, they had a 21 point lead. And so, you know, they're, they're feeling it. They're finding their way a little bit here, but uh, I think the, the biggest kind of missing piece from what they have going on right now, there's two of them. First, it's getting consistent stuff from Montrez off the bench and from Lou Williams. Lou was terrific in game four, but in game two and game three, it was, you know, a little little hit or miss. Uh, but then most importantly, I mean, Paul George has been under 25% from the field for three games in a row. First time that's happened in 60 years in the playoffs on a minimum of at least 10 attempts. And so, I mean, they've got to get him going, Eddie. But if you're the Mavs, I mean, you gotta you got to hope that that keeps happening. So... Where's the where's the rub there? What's going to happen with Paul George? Well, don't get this. Uh, hide all the sharp sticks. Do not poke this guy. Let him just go do, you know, let him stay in the little slump. One thing before I get to Paul George, I wanted to uh, uh, comment on what you said. Uh, guys that are buying in on this team. I mean, you've got, I mean, DeLon Wright's a good player in this league. He's having a hard time getting consistent minutes because other people have stepped up. That's okay. I mean, he's, he's, you got to have faith that he's going to be ready. You know, he's going to get a shot here somewhere in the next couple games. It's just everybody gets a shot with Rick Carl. Justin Jackson, he came off for the first time uh, a couple games ago. And, and will he not, you know, will he have an impact? We don't know. Maxi Cleaver has been struggling a bit, but 
he's the last guy I would worry about. I think there's a chance he comes out and knocks down a big shot somewhere along the line. So, yes, I, I think these guys having a, a, a faith in the, what's going on is, is really big. Now, Paul George, my goodness, this guy is way too good a player to be playing like this. Or to, I'll take that back, to be shooting the ball like this. Uh, the Mavericks have made it a little tough for him, but I, I think this is a combination of just him hitting a little shooting skid at the wrong possible time. And, uh, and the Mavericks are focusing on him a bit defensively. They, they, you know, they're, they have done a lot of single coverage on Kawhi Leonard. Now they've started to trap a little bit more uh, as the series has gone on. But, but uh, you know, they've, they've made sure Paul George isn't going to be the guy to beat him. But he's still good enough of a player where he can beat you, even if you're trying to make sure he doesn't beat you. So uh, I think that that's the issue I was I want to see, and I'm going to watch closest in Game Five is just and Game Six, just, just how Paul George responds to this. I mean, uh, his teammate Landry Shamit had a great comment uh, saying that I mean, here, hey, this guy's got a shoe named after him. He's on the cover of video games. This guy's is is a not just a good he's a great player so uh he'll you know he knows how to deal with this and and he'll probably bounce out of it and snap out of it but as maverick fans let's just hope he doesn't yeah i mean because if he if he gets it going i mean with the way Kawhi's playing if you get another guy that can give you 25 without even breaking a sweat i mean it's it's going to be a tough it's going to be a tough go, but, you know, if he stays slumping or, I mean, you know, again, I, I think the Clippers kind of their big adjustment, their last adjustment that they really have to make their last card to play would be to put Kawhi on Luka exclusively. But if you do that, maybe that drains Kawhi a little bit on defense. And so you really need Paul George to pick up the slack a little bit because I mean, to this point, Kawhi's mostly guarded like Dorian or Maxi. He's not really, uh, matched up on Luca all that much, so he can conserve his legs a little bit. But all of a sudden, if he if he's guarding Luca a lot more, then Paul George needs to pull his weight, and so that's kind of the that's sort of the weird kind of quagmire uh, that, that that the Clippers have found themselves in. Because I mean that that's your kind of your last card to play is putting your best defensive player on the Mavs' best offensive player. But Kawhi's their only consistent source of offense right now. And so if if you're Doc, what do you do? And if you're the Mavs, how do you kind of – what do you do if Kawhi does go on to Luka tonight? Well, one thing I think you can just take to the bank uh, in game five and six is that uh, the Clippers are going to get rougher. They're, they're going to they're gonna try to uh, manhandle the Mavericks. I mean, they, they have been a physical team already. It's going to get worse. It's going to be – Big time, and uh, I think you'll see Tre- uh, Montrez Harrell and and uh, Zubats and and some of these bigger guys and Kawhi and Paul George, uh, just a lot of these guys really uh, muscle up and try to to, to dominate this game physically. Uh, they, they haven't been able to to outscore the Mavericks. They haven't been able to to stop them a lot. So I mean, what's the next step? I mean, you got to got kind of got to get knock some people on the floor. Uh, I hope it doesn't get out of control, but I I would prepare for the for the most uh, physical game of the series uh, in Game Five. Yeah, I mean to to your point, the two games that the Clippers have won, Game One, whenever things got heated right off the bat, and then KP got ejected after another little scuffle, and then in Game Three, 
when Luca and Trez got mixed up in the first quarter. I mean, if the Clippers have shown that they're they're willing to go there and they've they're two and zero in the games where they have, and so if they come out of the gates and you know and they say, oh Luca, you got a sprained ankle, huh? Let's uh, let's put it to the test. Then the Mavs have to be ready to kind of roll with the punches, literally and metaphorically, and uh, and and see if they can fight back a little bit without things getting too heated. But that's easier said than done against a team in LA who kind of not only do they maybe like intimidate you or whatever because they can be so physical, but it also seems like the the conflict, the scuffles, the mix up, the yelling, the trash talk that gets guys like Trez and Pat Bev and Marcus Morris going. So like. Whenever they're doing that stuff, that's their game. It's not only it's not only meant to mess with you; it's also meant to fire them up. Can uh, I'll ask you a question? Can the Mavericks survive without KP in, in this series the rest of the way? Oh man, the rest of the way, I you got to think that they won't be able to. I, I think they need KP back in order to win this series. Now, maybe not. I mean, I I don't know, but. Uh, KP's just so important. He's such an important outlet for them to, to hit those deep threes. And uh, he's made a lot of plays around the rim and he's been a good rebounder. So I don't know. That's, that's really tough, but I mean, they've, they've played well without him. They've played well without Luca. So I don't know, but I, I don't know. I, I would just say like, you know, conventional wisdom would say you need your best players to win a series. So I, I think they need KP back before this thing is over to win it. What do you think? Well, I think he's a, a more important piece for the Mavericks than even Patrick Beverly is for the Clippers. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. But, I, I mean, I don't want to just just, uh, just respect how much Pat means to the, to the Clips because he is there. Uh, he allows them to play a different kind of defense. I mean, he, he, can, he can guard a lot of different kind of players, and, and uh, he's just got, as we all know, the, the edge that comes with being a, a – uh, stir of, of, of nasty things uh, out there on the court, uh, for lack of a better word that I won't use right now. But uh, <laughs> we, we have to we have to understand that he's there. He, he's kind of their uh, catalyst in, on the defensive end of the, of the court, and they've had to manufacture that another way now. Uh, in a couple games, they've been pretty good at it. A couple games, not so good at it. The Mavericks, excuse me, the Mavericks, on the other hand, we have to figure out a way to get KP back. And if he's not back, then that's, you know, we're going to rely on, on Rick Carlisle and his, uh, you know, expertise and his creativity of finding ways to, to make up that difference uh, offensively, but also defensively. Uh, KP is, is a pretty good rim protector. Uh, he's a big body that, that you have to get around and, uh, you know, I, I'm with you. I think if he's not back uh, the rest of the series, it it, uh, it just becomes exponentially tougher for the Mavericks. Not impossible. We saw him win game four, obviously. So it can be done. But, man, it's a tough uh, it's a tough assignment. Yeah, well, and without KP, too, I mean, look, in, in game four, you won. Trey Burke and Seth Curry shot out of their mind and a lot of other guys stepped up and, and you know, we're, we're playing great and the bench's field goal percentage in this series is like almost 60%. And you won by two. You scored 135 points and you won by two. And that's with everybody having like the best games of their lives. And so, you know, you need you need your, your talent guy back. But uh, you can also kind of mask it a little bit if you just 
defend a little better. I mean, it, you know, Lou Will got out of control a little bit in, in game four. He scored like 36 points. He was sensational. And so if you can put the clamps on these guys a little bit more, then all of a sudden you don't have to shoot 60% to win a game. Maybe just 55 will, will be enough. But it's uh, it's the, the, the winner of these games – Game one was like 118 and then 125 and then 128 and then 135. I mean, the, the scoring is just going up every single game. And so the first team to play any any steady defense for 48 minutes is going to win by 50. Well, OK, uh, that, that I'll call you on that one. I'll, I'll take that bet. But uh, <laughs> I don't think somebody's going to win by 50, Bobby. Well, but, anything uh, can happen. Anything can happen. It's the playoffs. Okay. Uh, but. Uh, I don't even think it's going to require 48 minutes of defense. I just want to see somebody go out there and play uh, six or eight possessions of really gutty, hard-nosed, you-ain't-scoring-on-me kind of defense. Uh, that would be fun. Abs did it in game four. They did it in game four, to be fair, in the third quarter. That was incredible stuff from them. Hey, hey and when you're down 21, you don't come back at the offensive end of the court. you got to come back down at the defensive end. And they did that. I mean, they, you know, they dug in. They said, all right, let's see, you know, you're going to have to put your bodies out there. You're going to have to take some charges. You're going to have to get your nose dirty and bloodied. And they did it. And that's how you come back in games like that. And, and yes, both teams are capable of doing that. I think uh, I've seen several comments that, that say the Lakers now are, uh, and, and Portland's beat up. So the Lakers are going to, um, cruise through the end of that series and and uh everybody's wondering now uh how are they going to fare when they run up against a team that plays some defense uh because there are some out there that are not afraid to play defense the blaze i mean the uh, clippers and the mavericks uh the jazz uh there, there are some teams out there that are that are, that are pretty good defensive teams uh and, and when they want to be when they're committed to it and uh that's what that's what just, you know people don't realize Despite these high scores, uh, when you get a stop or two, it makes a huge, huge difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, well, let's get it done, Eddie. Uh, 12 hours from now, whenever the game is over, the Mavs will have won the game if blank. If they remember who they are, they have to continue to be uh selfless hard-nosed move the ball i mean i just absolutely get you know you cannot get the ball stuck uh you have to move it you have to share it and then you have to help each other defensively uh this has to be a team yes luca is the head of the stake and what is what is it what a snake and what a head that's been but you need the rest of the body to digest the game and uh and then hopefully uh uh, get rid of the Clippers in, in, in game five and, and move along. But uh, just play your game, play hard, attention to detail, perseverance. Uh, boy, I sound like Rick Carlisle all of a sudden. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the You'd truth. be proud. That's the truth. Oh, man, that's funny. Uh, all right, well, here we go. The game is on 8 p.m. or Well, it's on at 8 p.m. It's on Fox Sports Southwest. Is it on ESPN or TNT? Uh, that you know, you would ask that question, but uh, uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I think I'm, it's I'm not that. sure either. But I know that the game is on Fox Sports Southwest. So if you're living in Dallas, be sure to check out uh, what Fallowizi and, and Derek Harper and Skin have to say. 
Uh, man, it's going to be some good stuff. This is going to be this going to be a big night, big game. So uh, thank you, Eddie, for joining me. Only two games today, which is uh, which is interesting, you know, for the first time. The lights are getting brighter. That's what that means. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, you can find all of Eddie's work uh, on uh, Mavs.com. You can also follow him on Twitter. If you search Eddie Sefko, he'll be the guy with the check mark. He's very important. Give him a follow. Uh, my name is Bobby Corelli. You can also find me on Twitter. And uh, it's called Mavs Daily for a reason. It's because we do this every single day, and that includes tomorrow. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. Share it with all your friends, all your enemies, all your Clippers fans that you're trying to talk mad crap to before the game. Let them know all about us. And we will see you tomorrow.